Welcome to today's episode of On the Rocks. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you where I chat with Amy Bullinger. Amy serves as the Executive Director for the Initiative for Responsible Mining Assurance, or IRMA. IRMA hosts the Standard for Responsible Mining, a comprehensive and rigorous definition of environmental and social responsibility in mining, allowing mines at any level of current performance to engage and show improvement over time. IRMA is governed equally by nonprofit NGOs, labor organizations, and mining-affected communities, working alongside private sector mining companies, investors, and purchasers of mine materials. Amy has worked on mining issues for 25 years with substantial experience in directly affected communities. With that, pour a glass or a cup of something, and let's dive in. All right, Amy, I'm really excited to have you here with us today. Thanks so much for coming on the rocks. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I'm really interested to share our conversation today with our listeners because we talk a lot about ESG and community relationships and like what right looks like um, on this podcast. So really, really fascinated to, to kind of share with folks what you do at the Initiative for Responsible Mining Assurance or IRMA. Um, so I wonder if you could kick it off with just sharing with us IRMA 101, you know, what started it, how has it developed, all that good stuff. All right. Um, okay, so I'll go back in history, as you've asked. So um, I've been with IRMA for 12 years, but it started years before I came in. Um, I came in as the first staff person, but um, back um, in 2006 was when it first started and it was initiated. Um, by actually a purchaser of my materials. You had Tiffany and Company, um, who of course were selling jewelry and beautiful things, um, reaching out to nonprofit groups um, with the question of how do we source mm. responsibly mined materials? We are working to sell something that we're really proud of and it's something that has an emotional connection Right. for people um, and yet we don't own or operate mines and so we have this limited ability to change what's happening at that level ourselves in some cases they might not even know um, which mines they were buying from and so really trying to figure out what is that lever point um, but very quickly as nonprofit groups and um, tiffany and company and other jewelers were sitting at a table together they knew this is not a bilateral conversation between us if we're going to begin to define this we need a table which is multi-stakeholder. Um, and they were really using the example of the Forest Stewardship Council and how it had come together to deal with the issues of logging and protecting forests or Marine Stewardship Council, which was doing this in the fisheries um, and ocean and um, space. So they were looking at these tables that were this place where nonprofit groups who were advocates for the environment or social justice issues could sit and have equal leadership alongside private sector companies, um, which included mining companies and their customers and also labor unions and the communities most affected. So they brought that table together. Um, and honestly, those first people who sat together at that table, I think they were pretty skeptical that they could craft something like what Irma would become because there was such broken trust across those stakeholder sectors and a lot of conflict at that time. Um, and the idea that you might have a market-based voluntary tool that could reward greater environmental and social responsibility when it came to mining, I think a lot of people thought, well, this is an interesting idea, but it probably won't work. 
Um, so they were people who were willing to sit and have that initial conversation. Um, and then over the last 15 years since then, they built what is now the world's most comprehensive and detailed and high bar standard to describe what is best practices for mining around the world and a way to measure that that could be trusted um, and to also reward continuing improvement, knowing a lot of these sites aren't going to be at the best practice space mm -hmm. right now. How do you make sure it's not pass fail, but that you create a space for mines at any level in their journey to come in and use this tool to improve? Fascinating. And how, I mean, when, when people hear that, that there was a lot of distrust at the beginning, like, has that, how has that evolved? over time to where it is now? Has that trust grown through this process, do you think, or? You know, it's really a mix, I think, still. Um, definitely, there is still a lot of broken trust, particularly between mining affected communities and NGOs in the mining industry. I think polls consistently show that, that there's this skepticism, like as there is with oil and gas companies. Um, and nonprofits and civil society, there is still with mining. Of course, we've got a non-renewable material, which also can add to that sense as well as what's responsible. We, that's why part of the word, why we don't use the word sustainable. Um, but we talk about responsible practices because these are materials that most of us are using every day in our daily lives. Um, so, but if you were to step into a meeting of the Irma Board of Directors and they meet every month and they are from six different stakeholder sectors, um, you would find a very collegial and constructive and mutually respectful um, and compassionate space. So they're not arguing, those who've agreed to sit at this table are not arguing with each other. They're really working well together, but they definitely operate in a world where there's still a lot of division between their sectors. Yeah. I mean, I just remember over the last year, especially like, I think mining is way below even oil and gas from a public perception and trust perspective. So I, I would expect nothing else <laughs> from, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, I wonder um, if you could explain a little bit about when, when we talk about ESG and community best practices, or it used to be called corporate social responsibility within the sector, now it's ESG, environmental social governance. like. What are some of the best practices that you all focus on highlighting or or are there best practice tips that you suggest or do you or do you not recommend things to, to folks? We do recommend um, best practices to companies. In fact, we find that many of the mining companies coming to us right now are really like, what do you need me to do? And then how do I do it? Right. It's right. not a resistance to doing it. It's really more like. Um, you know, what's, what is the, um, the support guidance document to get me from yeah. here to there? I mean, give me a checklist. that's, yeah. yeah, give me a checklist. But that said, I mean, what um, the Irma standard for responsible mining is now more than 25 chapters. Mm -hmm. um, and it describes across those chapters, um, a range of what's best practice, whether you're talking about worker health and safety, or you're talking about protecting clean water, or you're talking about indigenous people's rights, um, or you're talking about greenhouse gas emissions, biodiversity, is that across these range of issues, what is best practice for a mining company operating at a given site on those issues? Um, and um, But what is in that content is something which is very doable today. When, which is one of the great things about it. There's some things that when we talk about 
we want to move to best practices, we're talking about technologies we don't have yet, right? They're mm -hmm. aspirations that we have. When it comes to mining, the IRMA standard was always committed to making sure it was achievable best practices that are already out there. So everything in the IRMA standard is being done at a mine somewhere in the world right now today, but the market hasn't really valued and differentiated between mines who are doing that broadly across the full range of issues. And that's part of the work we're doing is can we bring added value for greater environmental and social responsibility at mine sites around the world, especially as the world is reliant increasingly more on mining to produce materials associated with energy transition, right? right? So we're facing this big moment in time where we have the irony that we have a climate crisis and increasing temperatures, and we are trying to be particularly careful about the impacts that we have on the earth and mining can leave centuries of impacts. Um, and yet we're saying we're gonna do a lot more of it because we have these materials that are associated with electric vehicles and wind turbines and solar panels and the batteries that store power. Um, so how do we make sure that our solutions to the climate crisis don't do greater harm, mm -hmm. even as we're making that transition? I am super curious if that tension is felt or really how it's balanced, even in your discussions within the group, because I mean, it's not something that's clearly understood or articulated broadly right like kind of outside the mining industry we yell it at e ourselves all the time oh. right the world needs these for a low carbon economy right all that mm. but like it is such a balance and how do you all kind of manage that tension or or you know how do you talk about that i think i mean fundamentally in our theory of change of how irma works is um respecting the perspective that all six of our governing houses come from, right? Mm -hmm. So Irma is equally governed by mining companies, by their customers, by the finance sector. Those are three from the private side. And then also NGOs, the nonprofit groups, and then affected communities and labor unions. Mm -hmm. So those six sectors um, equally govern and they are coming with different perspectives to the table. They're saying, look, Irma as a tool is useful to all of us in some way, but why it's useful might be really different, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, you have mining companies saying, well, we're doing this work because it's making a profit for our business. But you have community-based groups saying, well, we maybe want to be part of that profit. We want to talk about benefit sharing. We want mm -hmm. to talk about jobs, but they may also be saying, we want to talk about how are you going to do that work so you don't contaminate our water or so you don't desecrate sacred sites if you're on indigenous lands. Um, so they're coming with a range of different interests. Mm. Absolutely, you have places where you've got communities affected by mining or nonprofit groups who have been working to protect social and environmental issues saying, wait a second, <laughs> Yeah. Just taking our really consumptive practices and our disposable American lifestyle, and not just the Americas, of course, but looking at um, Europe and other places where you have affluent communities who are using up a lot more of the world's resources, they're saying, right. can we talk about consumption? And can we talk about um, the fact that some people are using a lot more of the world's resources while other people are bearing the brunt of the impacts of the extraction of those? So absolutely, there's a tension mm -hmm. there. Um, I mean, for Irma, we're holding that tension both sides. We need to convince mining companies who don't need to do an audit against the Irma standard. We're voluntary, right? We have no force of law. We need right. to convince mining companies there's a value to do this, 
But we also need to convince communities who are skeptical about increased extraction that using the IRMA standard to hold for greater accountability isn't just greenwashing right. an exponential increase in new lining. Yeah, no, I, I can certainly appreciate how how the tool would, you know, you, you have to pull everybody together to be like, look, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we, That's we, right. we at least need a tool to talk through. And I mean, certainly it's, it's a lot more than that, but I can appreciate how this is a great place to have those dialogues or a tool to facilitate that um, within those kind of really tricky, tricky conversations. Because um, I certainly, you know, one thing that I was surprised at, I was reading um, some recent dialogue between uh, the the industry, I guess, at large, in particular hosted by the Inter- International Council on Mining and Metals, ICMM, about a new initiative they're doing with Coppermark and other groups about an industry-led standard for ESG. And civil society had put out a letter saying, we already have IRMA, like basically <laughs> saying, why don't you just use that? Um, and I, I'd be curious to hear kind of your thoughts on that and what's different about what ICMM and Coppermark and, and the other members are looking to do versus what you all do and, and kind of how does that fit together? Mining industry trade associations are so important in that they are a network of the world's mining companies, usually as with ICMM, the world's largest mining companies who come together into a room and can close the door and can talk amongst themselves Mm -hmm. about um, how does the world perceive them? What is the impact they have in the world? What is the opportunity they have in the world? Um, And so when they work together to say, look, when one of us does harm, it harms the reputation of all of us. Um, That is incredibly powerful. The positive peer pressure they can exert together to um, inspire pressure, mentor their peers to do better. And that's really where I see mining industry trade associations at their best is working to create that, take that positive pressure and then capacity building amongst their members and positive pressure amongst their members. Um, Where it's different from where Irma's work is, is that it's not independent of the industry though, right? Mining industry trade associations are governed by mining companies. Um, If they build something together, they are still going to build something that their associations, which are governed by mining companies, can agree with. And um, Irma also must build something that mining companies want to participate in. But we are equally governed by mining companies who sit equally with their customers, with their investors, with nonprofit groups, with communities who are affected, and with labor unions. And none of them have greater authority or influence in Irma's work. It's got to work for all of them, and they all have a veto authority in Irma over the others. So when they sit down at that table, they sit down with the humility that they're going to have to craft something which is going to work for all, or it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do that work best if we're working in collaboration with those trade associations who can support their members to participate in this and to do well and to connect that value for those members who are improving practices. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it just struck me when I first read the dialogue, um, which was incredibly respectful, and it sounded, you know, like there's a, a meeting kind of that's being arranged to to discuss the the questions and the issues. But um, 
certainly what I hear inside of the mining industry bubble all the time is like, we're working so hard. Why don't people just tell us what else they want? And like, we're doing our best. And to me, it's like, well, if there's already a standard out there that already has that input from all of these other groups, mm -hmm. um, you know, what are what are the big differences in terms of the themes? And I know they haven't come out with a with a standard, mm -hmm. right, with anything different. But like, what are some of the key themes within Irma's structure that that maybe people don't understand are already there and are already giving a voice to these other stakeholder groups that mining companies can just go and and work with it. You know, often people will look at what does the standard say? Like, what do, what are you measuring responsibility against? And that's really important. But the things you might not think of are, okay, who's governing and setting the rules and overseeing and holding the accountability right. of the standard, right? So who has that authority to say what's responsible enough and how are they held accountable? So the equal governance is one that you may not think of, but it, why is it so important? Because we do have a space where trust is not a given right now, right? right. Um, and people have already become across the public quite jaded with green checks mm -hmm. and what is seen as greenwashing, and they're skeptical of these things. They find them on their cookie boxes, right, or you know, um, on the products they buy each day, and so they're going to put Irma to the same thing or to an industry trade association. If you give something which is just a green check, um, then that doesn't have value for a lot of people on the other side. So you've got to build that trust mm -hmm. that what goes behind it. So equal governance is key in that. Another is transparency. Before mines are audited in Irma, we publicly notice that a mine audit is beginning. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the Albemarle audit of a site down in Chile, or it's Aramet in Senegal, um, or it's Anglo-American in South Africa, we're saying hello world. We're about to audit this mine. You may participate. So whether you are an Amnesty International or you are um, a uh, women's rights group or you are a local community-based group, you can contribute the perspective that you've had on that site mm -hmm. um, and have auditors count that feedback in. So that kind of transparency and then a transparency in the audit reports that come out. You know, how is this mine performing? What does it do well? Where does it have room for improvement? Um, and then for the standards expectations, what the mine's being measured against to be detailed is really important. Because if you say, um, have a stakeholder engagement plan, um, a way to engage with your community, like, of course, that's really important thing to have, but everybody may check the box, they have that. You could but in write one, one case, in like you may have two minutes with chat GPT. I was going to say that. Absolutely. <laughs> you could have one company who has a really robust relationship with their community and the community right. knows they can complain and they count on people to respond and it's really respectful. And another company, you may have like a post-it of three yeah. names you plan to call someday. Like what's the way we've differentiated between these so that it drives value for that really meaningful relationship that's building a long-term respect between the community and the company. So that's why the details in the standard are important that it's not so vague that everybody checks the box and passes. Because you see that already. You already have a world in where most companies are going to say, we're all five-star and triple A. And we're really looking to say, can we create financial and reputational and trust-based value for those who really are doing more to step into that space? Yeah, I think especially because for me personally, I've worked in a lot of 
you know, conflict zones, war zones, oh, post conflict, yeah. a lot of very frontier and emerging markets. And I know um, it's incredibly frustrating when people are doing good work in places that have a lot of ch inherent challenges. And I would argue that's like every jurisdiction in reality, right? Mm -hmm. We just kind of perceive that, that they only exist in other places, right? Yes. Um, but certainly having worked in those markets where that is more like the of the top five questions people ask about what it's like to run a project or opportunities in those areas, um, you're highly attuned to a lot of that stuff with the framework that there's an expectation it's not, you can't do it perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. Under those mm -hmm. circumstances. And how yep. do you implement a plan where you recognize where you are and where you want to be, but have it be a fair assessment, right? Of given the circumstances of where we're working, cultural constructs, financial realities of things that go on, like here's how we're measuring up. Like, is that is that something that resonates with this structure? Like you, you want it to be accurate and to help people progress, right? It's not just a yes. pass fail audit type. Exactly. Style. Absolutely. I mean, years ago when Irma was first being developed, the thought was it would be pass fail mm. because that would be what would be easiest. Right. Right. It's yeah. like you do this or you don't do this. Yes or no. Um, and other systems like the Forest Stewardship Council do that. They are pass fail. But because um, Irma committed to being best practice focused because you weren't going to have the civil society groups, affected communities, NGOs, labor unions even come to the table unless they could talk about best practice. They were very clear about that from the start. They said, we don't want to take status quo and talk about an octave above. We don't want to take human rights abuses and say, we're just going to make one step up. If we're coming to this table to um, heal these decades of um, broken trust between us, we're going to come talking about best practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when the electronic sector, and in particular Microsoft, came to the table um, some years into that, they said, this sounds great. We love the idea of best practice. But are there tin mines in Indonesia who are anywhere near this? Right. Because if not, we might need to go to the conference room down the hall mm. and have another conversation. Um, and that was a moment where everyone at that table could say, well, we all agree in the value of continuing improvement. But some of us don't want to put a green check next mm -hmm. to something that we still think has a long way to go uh, before it's quote unquote green. Mm -hmm. So the idea of using scoring so that you could say, okay, this is best practice and we'll score against 100 points and to do that for every chapter. And then that also, um, first of all, it gives credit for companies who are doing something. Maybe you're not doing the whole thing, but you can really talk about, well, well this is what we're already doing mm -hmm. on noise and vibration, or this is what we're doing to protect air quality. Um, it also gives them a space to create a context mm -hmm. for like, okay, well, no, we don't have a lot here in the air chapter, but frankly, we're in a pretty wet place and no one's been complaining about blowing dust. And we've actually put a lot more of our time and money into worker health and safety and worker rights because we had labor unions and workers here asking for things that were a priority to them. And that's what we prioritized with limited resources is it creates a context where companies can contextualize their space, but then it also creates a space for communities to say, well, this is what's important to us. Mm -hmm. So you've got this full range. And then ideally you're also not trading issues off of one another. It's not worker health and safety or clean water. Right. It's not protecting sacred sites or biodiversity, but you've got this real look at the whole 
and how do you balance them? Hmm. Really interesting. No, I, I love that approach because, uh, I mean, it that makes a lot of sense to me that the the best practice is the end state and there's kind of gradations in there where people can also show progress, I assume, over over time with repeated audits, right, to show that they've received the feedback and has incorporated and improved on, on what they're doing. Right. I mean, ultimately, this shouldn't be Irma proffering some sense of what's responsible. And we never use the word certified and certification is usually the word that's often used in this space. But we talk about auditing and verifying performance. But really then we hope it's a, co a conversation that goes between mining company and its local community, between um, the indigenous people who may live in that area, their customers, its investors, so that you have a dialogue that's far richer and deeper and more continuous than you know one visit from Irma um, every year and a half or so in between the audit visits, you know, it's really to be set a, a trusted base of information that then feeds a conversation between a company and its stakeholders and rights holders in the area. So for those folks who are listening who are investors or maybe potential investors um, in mining and exploration companies, if they see an IRMA score, what should they think about when they see that score or what should they do with it? Or, or what would be the next step? Well, great question. I think one of the most important things investors can do first is to ask for transparency of these companies, is to be open to being audited against the IRMA standard. Um, many of them are so excited about environmental and social responsibility and um, using their funds to drive improvement. They're already saying, okay, we're gonna invest in those who are IRMA 100, scoring perfectly. But we've said, look, there are going to be a limited number of mines who are going to hit that target. Start and meet mining companies where they are now. Mm -hmm. Give them the value to be honest about the impacts of where mining is happening. Um, give them the opportunity to be honest about the impacts of mining. Um, let's have an honest accounting of what it takes to extract the materials that industrialized societies are using every day. And then let's create value for improved practices. Mm -hmm. So I think investors really have to be willing to walk mining companies through each of those expectations and start with that realistic expectation, which says, first, we want to know how you're performing. We actually want the real truth. Right. Um, and then we're going to create value for you to improve. Yeah, no, that's a great point that investors have to actually reward honesty. <laughs> With, mm -hmm. with money, right? I mean, frankly, that's what it right. comes down to. If people buy more shares or or go into that raise um, because a company has been honest and truthful versus company B that's just done the greenwashing, great graphics of, you know, all the, the cute kids playing in the sunflower field on the cover, right? Like that's, you've got to put your money where your mouth is and put it behind the companies that are doing the hard work as opposed to just checking the boxes. There's been so much talk in recent years about how the investor sector has fled away from mining and that mining is seen as a dirty business, that it's been seen as a high risk business. Um, and yet there's been this continued um, culture that we're just going to reassure that um, it's all five star and triple A. And we need this moment to be able to say this is how industrial extraction happens, to be right. honest about the impacts, to be honest about the contexts and how it's different um, in different places in the world, whether you're in Indonesia or you're in the Congo or you're in Western Canada. Um, what are the challenges in each of the spaces? And let's be 
open and honest about the impacts that go with that. And then how do we drive value for it to be done with less harm? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of the standards, I know Irma is now taking public consultation on the standard 2.0 and chain of custody standard. What do those two things mean? And how can people inside and outside of the industry participate in that consultation? So Irma first started developing its standard back in 2006, mm. and it released a draft in 2014 for public review, and then another draft in 2016 for public review. And we did a field test at a mine in Zimbabwe, a field test in a mine in Montana in the US. Um, and the 2018 standard that's out in the world right now is the result of all that work. Okay. Um, but it's been five years since that time. And even though those five years moved much slower than we hoped because of COVID, yeah. uh, and it was hard to get, even as we launched, we suddenly couldn't get auditors out on sites. And Irma does require a site visit mm -hmm. as part of the audits. Um, we now have the first 20 mines going through those first audits. Um, and so we've got a lot of information about both like what wasn't clear in that standard, what did we need to write um, with more supporting guidance, um, what couldn't be implemented in some places in the world, where did we set a bar too high where it couldn't be achieved, where do we set a bar too low that's now a gap. I mean, we are five years moved on in the world and we can see that our chapter on greenhouse gas emissions, the world has moved on at Irma's standard on greenhouse gas emissions is not best practice. Mm. It has fallen behind in these five years. Um, and the market expects more as well as civil society. So you'll see us moving up to meet um, that expectation. And then the same with um, gender, the Irma chapter um, and how Irma dealt with gender five years ago, the world has moved on in that space. So we're looking at this full range of issues and where do we need to both support mining companies who are coming in, support communities who are using it as a tool to measure what is best practice and make sure it reflects the world today um, now. And But to do that, we are asking the world broadly, help us with that. Mm. So take a look at Irma's new chapter on protecting indigenous consent mm. where mining happens. Take a look at these chapters on what does it mean to protect water resources where mining happens? And whether you're from a mining company or you're from an indigenous community or you are um, a worker at a site, like test us and give us feedback um, because what is yielded has to be something which is accountable to all. Very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive in and take a look at that. I'm really fascinated to see how, how those things have shifted over the last few years because it feels like the whole world has shifted. <laughs> In the last five years with everything from the pandemic to AI to it feels like we're just waiting for like a zombie apocalypse at any moment. So <laughs> I don't know if it'll address that, but <laughs> I don't think we have good these zombie apocalypse covered yet. But I'll, I'm going to go back to the staff and talk about that in mission. The health and safety right. section. We need. Do you have a zombie apocalypse response? <laughs> Another chapter has been added. There are mining companies around the world cursing you, Emily, for adding the zombie accountability to their uh, yeah. their list. The exactly. Yeah. The checklist for that is hard. That would be um, a fun one to write. Oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. That would be good. Right. Yeah. How do you deal with the dead, the undead? Right. Um, yeah. That's right. Um, 
Irma will now have a chain of custody standard in the world. And um, that is coming out to now give an opportunity, but also an accountability to the customers of the mining sector so that they um, can walk their talk about reaching back and providing value to the companies who are doing the audits Mm -hmm. of their Irma mines. So that if you are a car maker or a jeweler or an electronics company, um, that you can demonstrate how you are reaching back your supply chain and sourcing from the mining companies who are doing that work and who are improving over time. And so that's the big work of the chain of custody is creating a trusted way to look at how materials flow through the chain and materials like lithium flow in a really different way from gold or platinum or iron ore, but to create a way so that you've got confidence that those who are making claims about that sourcing are actually doing the work of reaching back and creating value for the companies who are doing the work. Oh, that's going to be that's going to be a fun one, too. I, I find it fascinating because of some of the countries I've worked in, um, Afghanistan being one of them, where uh, with gemstones in particular, right, like sourcing and um, different ways of tracking became something that we looked at, even though we were not focused on gemstones. I learned a lot from colleagues that worked in the gemstone space about much like how you said the origins of Irma coming back to Tiffany, like I think it's one area where the gemstone and jewelry industry has been tackling this problem for way longer than the kind of rest of the mining industry. And we have so much we can learn from that, um, where even though there's not the emotional attachment directly to the material the way you do with gemstones, like there should be in some way, right? I mean, people have the same value attachment, but it's not like... They don't want child labor mining cobalt in the Congo going into their electric vehicle, right? But the sourcing isn't there or the the verification isn't there yet. But I I know there's all kinds of technology that's come out with blockchain and everything. Everyone's always got a new way to track stuff. But once it goes into the the traders, it just seems to kind of disappear. Completely agreed. And I mean, that's why I think jewelry led is because jewelry was one of the first ones where you had direct sourcing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's true that for most people, you may know the name of the companies who are the brands that you've bought your end product from, whether that's a piece of jewelry or your phone or your car. But very few people know the names of mining companies who were the source point or the raw materials that went into that. But that's changing now. Mm-hmm. I mean, jewelry started to do it because they saw there was going to be a value to having those segregated piles and saying, look, we bought from that source of gold, which didn't have harm in it, or we bought from that source of diamonds, which didn't have child labor in it. But now that you've got so many of these materials associated with energy transition and a response to climate change, you don't want to say you're doing these electric vehicles or those wind turbines with this direct harm to the planet and to the people who are reliant on those pieces of land. And so um, you have increasingly um, N brands who are buying direct from mining companies. And it's not only to do their due diligence to understand their supply chain, but of course it's also the, the competition for materials, the materials that go into batteries like lithium, nickel, cobalt. There is so much competition for right now. That's also why you have shortening supply chains. So instead of five or 10 or 12 links between the mine and the end brand, for some, it's a direct line right now to it. And that also gives a different kind of leverage for expecting different performance because you know who your raw material supplier is. 
Yeah, no, and I love that. I mean, I know we see that on Prospector with our data, even folks using our data and the auto manufacturers, the um, the kind of electronics industry using us to look at potential suppliers. And I mean, it's just, it's really fascinating to start to see that, that trend happen. Well, um, I'm really interested to ask you the question that I ask everybody um, on the end of our episodes, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the mining industry overnight, um, all magic, no, no drama, no pushing things uphill, what would it be? Oof. I would love to have transparency on what's actually happening at each of these sites, what the impacts are, because once the moment we can all be honest about it um, and acknowledge that all of us who are using these materials are complicit in it, we can create value for the companies who improve and change that going forward. Because ultimately in Irma, our key work is not about auditing and scoring, it's about creating a value to do less harm and to do better work in this space that we already know is possible. And the moment we could make that all visible, then we've got a clear driver mm. to improve things going forward. Awesome, I love that. I think that's a wonderful thing to work towards since we don't have a magic wand. Um, so cheers <laughs> to that. And thank you so much for coming on The Rocks. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to hear what all of our listeners think about the, the work that y'all have going on. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I really am enjoying this program and grateful for the time to talk to you. And I look forward to working with you on the zombie apocalypse uh, safety standard. <laughs> Stay healthy for that one. <laughs> <laughs>